0: Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet, a weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common, agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Idle Chatter. As you know, I am Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, coming to you, as always, from Cat Swamp Road in beautiful Warren County, New Jersey. So hopefully the sound of my voice is finding things going well for you, as I wish you every week. And I uh, have a couple of things I wanted to go over with you today, or just uh, actually tell you about, probably more than go over before I start today's talk which today's show is going to be about thinking outside the box but before we get into that I am very very proud to tell you and uh, so I want to I thank you in advance for allowing me to share this with you because I'm like a uh, a father with their first child right in the nursery I'm very proud of it so I'm very proud to tell you that as of this past Friday That my Idle Chatter podcast has been picked up and being hosted also at the Farm and Ranch Ag Network. So that's FRAN, Farm and Ranch Ag Network. And that's a great, great, great website that hosts a number of podcasts. And what's really great about that, what's really great about FRAN, everything today is an acronym, right? So we got called FRAN instead of Farm and Ranch Ag Network. But what's really great, and as far as I am concerned about Fran is that they are a, a group started and formed by a group of our peers, that they are farmers. And there's nothing that uh, brings joy to one's heart more than being accepted by your peers. And uh, you know, as an aside to that, and I say this humbly, and I said this to the people at Fran, is that over the years, I've literally been read by millions and millions of people. And that's not an exaggeration. I have, I don't know, I stopped counting at 3,000 published magazine articles and three books. And um, some of the magazines that I have written for over the years uh, had a a million and a half subscribers. Not counting what they call pass-along readership. And their survey and audit what they do is their survey used to say that ninety two percent of the people read me, and uh, that actually was hot rod magazine and but you know all of those were corporate structures and it was a blessing and I really appreciated all of those people reading me and dealing with all of those companies over the years i uh, I used to be published when the publishing business was more dynamic in fourteen different titles every month and uh, that would you know float up and down sometimes it'd be 18 but sometimes it'd be 13 but around 14 titles every month but those are all corporate entities and fran is not and the farm machinery digest is not and the majority of the listeners to my podcast are not corporate entities sure your farm may be incorporated for tax purposes but that's only on paper you're uh, you're not truly a corporate entity so i want to thank fran very much and i encourage you to uh Go to their website and listen to my podcast there, and then and I and listen to the others from the other great podcasters that are there. And I also encourage you to uh, go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com because the Idle Chatter podcast is only a small, small portion of what this is all about. And it's to educate you, the American farmer, to become more profitable in your business. That almost sounds like a commercial, right? But uh, I guess it is, but it just rolled off my tongue that way. But the other thing that I'm very, very proud of is that starting today, the special delivery segment, which is where readers or... Of the website and listeners, I was going to say viewers. Listeners of the podcast write in letters with questions about different things. And as of today, um, my special delivery section is brought to you by Firestone Ag, and I am very very proud of that because Harvey Firestone was a farmer, and Harvey Firestone's passion was both agriculture and education. And I am humble humble to say. Or humbly saying, is that I share those both with, with Mr. Firestone, that the impetus for the Idle Chatter podcast, and the Farm Machinery Digest website, is my passion for agriculture and my heartfelt desire to educate, the farmer to become more profitable in their shop by knowing their equipment better and for being able to execute better repairs and diagnostics. So, Mr. Firestone and I share that same passion. I know that it's not God's plan for me to be as financially successful as Harvey Firestone, but that's fine, but I want to welcome Firestone AG aboard, and I just it's a, uh, it's an honor that I do not take lightly. And when you listen to special delivery, just know that it is being brought to you by the good people at Firestone AG, the home of the 23 uh, degree tread bar design and the AD2 technology IF and VF tires. So a couple other things as far as housekeeping is concerned, not to bore you with, but uh, I am working on with my web designer and web guru Susan Moore from Moore Good Inc down in Georgia. Great, great, great people. If anybody's looking for a website for their farm, I strongly suggest that you give uh, Susan Moore a jingle or send her an email and let her at least talk to you. And we're working on setting up a Hot Rod Farmer YouTube channel. So I think that one element that I need on this whole journey of educating the farmer is to have a YouTube channel where I could do short educational videos I've been blessed to work with Successful Farming Magazine on their TV show as the Successful Farming Engine Man and I love doing that and actually the uh, new season for that show is starting uh, November 1st, Thursday and I am supposed to be according to the schedule be on there with a wheel bearing little, little segment but due to the constraints of that show and the time slot that they have, is that I can only have three or four minutes. And I uh, I love working with the guys at Successful Farming and hope to still be on their TV show for a long time. But I would also like to supplement that with the Hot Rod Farmer U- YouTube channel. If I'm saying that incorrectly, and uh, to be able to do maybe 12 or 15 minute. Uh, instructional videos or instructional lessons. So I'm working on setting that up and hopefully after the new year that may be rolling. And the other thing I wanted to uh, tell you about is that as a journalist, I'm a member of IMPA, International Motoring Press Association, I'm able to get press vehicles uh, from the car manufacturers. And what I'm going to start to do is do a road test and chassis dyno test on different vehicles that would interest farmers. So, predominantly trucks, but because I am the hot rod farmer, uh, I may sneak in a, uh, a 600 horsepower Mustang, a Camaro, or Challenger or something in there. But just for fun. But that is, I'm going to be doing those, and that will actually be on the website. And it will be under the Getting to Know series. So now that all that housekeeping is done, I want to get to the core topic of this podcast today. And as you all know, or if you don't know, you're gonna know right now, is that I farm in New Jersey, and farming in New Jersey uh, brings about many many obstacles that those f- that farm in a uh, predominantly agrarian area uh, do not face, and it also brings, it brings into play some opportunities that someone that's really out in the middle of farm country or in, a, in the Corn Belt somewhere would not have. And one of those opportunities is to be able to be exposed to different things and, and different businesses and different peoples and different mindsets on our farm is probably about 60 miles from New York City and about 75 miles from Philadelphia but the direct route uh, it's much more of a direct route to New York City than Philadelphia so we're really not influenced by them but New Jersey is small and it has a, uh, a it's, it's actually positioned between those two uh, metropolitan areas and then what that does is that we have a little bit of everything and a lot of nothing, if that makes sense. So we do have a strong agricultural presence, but the farms are nowhere near as large as the people out west or down south. But it does give us the opportunity, or it gives it not just me, but it gives anybody the opportunity to be exposed to different lifestyles and different businesses and different mindsets, and that's good in a way and sometimes it's bad, but for the most part it's really good because it, gets, it allows you to interface with different technologies. And I don't mean technologies as far as electronics, but different way businesses and people do different things. And the whole part is to try to bring that back to the farm. And if anyone has read my editorial column, my monthly editorial column called Flags Across the Harvest, and if you read the first one, uh, Flags Across the Harvest number one, when I was a young boy, we had a neighbor that worked in New York City, or actually uh, in Manhattan, as a tugboat dispatcher for a company called McAllister Towing. And they had uh, many, many different tugboats. They also had s- seagoing tugs. And those are tugboats that actually tow-, tow barges across the ocean. And I was very enamored and, and, and by this tugboat uh, lifestyle because uh, Mr. Larson used to tell me stories as a young boy about life at sea and life on the tugboats and what have you and uh, it was uh, I really romanticized about it and had a lot of interest in it. But anyway is that one day he got us on a tugboat my dad and I and we went into New York City when I believe it was the Battery Park and there's a, uh, a wall that holds, holds back the bay there or the ocean, They call it, I think they call it the Battery Sea Wall and this uh, huge tugboat pulled up, uh, I think she was 177 feet long and there was ocean going tug it was the Helen McAllister and we jumped aboard the McAllister, and my dad and I spent about 17, 18 hours on the McAllister. And I talk about it in that editorial. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. But the point I'm trying to get at is that because of that, that uh, day on the tugboat, it influenced my life in many, many ways. But also, I learned a term that many of you may not be familiar with, and it's called brackish water. And what brackish water is, is, if you have a river, let's say like the Mississippi, you're in, in, uh, in my case, the Hudson River, and it meets the ocean, the river itself is fresh water. But the ocean is salt water. And then what happens is as the tides go in and out, the salt water migrates up into the fresh water. And what would happen is as you come from the ocean into the river, at first the the water is salty and then it becomes what they call brackish, which is a mixture of fresh and salt water. And then the further you go up the river, it becomes less less brackish and then becomes uh, sweet water or fresh water, however you want to call it. So living in New Jersey and farming in New Jersey is a brackish experience and that has allowed me to and others also to be exposed to thinking outside the box because you were able to see, as I said a few minutes earlier, you were able to see how different industries and different businesses work and you're able to be exposed to it and historically you cannot take what they're doing and apply it to the farm but oftentimes it's an inspiration and you modify that thought process or modify what they're doing and use it to, uh, to make your farm more efficient or to do something better. And that brackish area of where you're going and saying, well, I really can't apply this to the farm, but I, you know, there's a printing plant in town, and this is what they do with, with, with something, and I can modify that, and I can use that to my benefit on the farm. And sadly, that is a negative of being truly 100% out in farm country. Uh, There's so many, many more positives, and I wish I was there. But as far as being in a brackish area, it's not really country. It's not really city. It's not really farm. It's not really suburban. Is that it makes you think out of the box. And if you were to look at anything, anyone in any business... And we'll talk about, obviously, agriculture, because this is a farm podcast. But if you look at the high-yield farmers, and I don't care who it is, and I don't care whether it's a, a worldwide high-yield high, yield, high yield farmer or just a, a, a county guy, is that most of the time, if not every time, they are thinking out of the box. They're looking... Or outside the box as some people say they're looking at what they're doing and nothing is engraved in stone and they'll try different things and they'll apply logics from from other areas onto their farm and, and oftentimes they fail like any experiment every experiment is a success but it's more the mindset of thinking outside the box so that is really what I want to talk about today I want to talk about how you need to think out of the box in the farm shop. Now, I also want to introduce another topic to you that goes hand in hand with this, but you may not be familiar with. I know you're familiar with it in one sense because we often talk about it in agriculture and that is ROI, return on investment. But it's usually it's usually applied to some sort of crop input and you know you could put a uh, let's say a a foliar fungicide on and you're looking for a return on investment you're looking for not only your money back from your fertilizer from your fungicide but you're looking for to increase your yield and if you increase your yield more than the fungicide cost and the application of it cost then you have a return on your investment so that's quite rudimentary and I'm talking to the choir as far as understanding that is concerned but we need to do and this really com- came to me from working in the automobile industry is that we call it ROI but it really needs to be broken down into two different categories there's direct ROI and indirect ROI And on the farm, when we're talking about crop inputs, we're talking about direct ROI. You spend a dollar, you get $2 back. You get your dollar and an additional dollar profit. You spend a dollar, you get a dollar back. There's no real value of ROI there. You spend a dollar and get $5 back and you have a very strong ROI. And that is direct ROI, return on investment. So there's a direct correlation for every dollar spent and gives you a multiplicative return, like interest in a bank. Now the auto industry is very big, big on not only obviously direct ROI, they want to build a car and sell it to you uh, for profit, but they are very big on what is called indirect ROI. An indirect ROI is really what this podcast and the Farm Machinery Digest website is all about because if you look at your ledger column or look at your balance sheet on your farm nothing that I am talking to you about or will be talking to you about hopefully God willing for many years or what you've read from me is going to affect your ROI I'm not talking about any crop inputs I'm not talking about anything agronomically I'm not talking about anything like that. What I'm talking about is indi- indirect ROI. What I'm what I'm talking about is you keeping more of your money that you do not spend unnecessary funds that you have made on on repairs, machinery, unnecessary service procedures, what have you. So I'm talking about indirect ROI, and why that's a very big uh, part of the car industry is that a lot of vehicles or things that the car industry does is indirect ROI. For example a year or so ago Ford came out using them as as a as a textbook example Uh, Ford came out with the uh, the GT supercar not the Mustang GT the GT supercar which is patterned after the old GT40 from the 60s that won the Le Mans race and that car a friend of mine Bobby Ida I've mentioned him on the podcast uh, once or twice before. Uh, he has one on order, and uh, I think he's going to get it uh, this spring, God willing. It's been on order for like a year and a half. But anyway, um, I think it's the list price in that car, just the base price is like $480,000. So it's a half a million dollar car. I mean, it's a uh, top of the line combine. So it's a half a, half a million dollar car. And... You know, you could say to yourself, "Well, man, Ford is making a fortune on this thing. It's a half a million dollars." They're probably—I don't know the actual numbers—but I would not be surprised if they're losing between twenty and eighty thousand dollars on each car that they sell for a half a million dollars. And you may say that's crazy. Why are they losing that kind of money? Because the development cost, the engineering cost, the emission certification cost, the cost to to, to build the car. all roll into that and they cannot sell enough cars or they're not making enough cars to amortize that cost to make that vehicle profitable and so you may ask yourself well why are they doing it because within the car industry it is called a halo car and what it does is it's indirect ROI they're making an investment in this in this particular vehicle to, to create a halo over the brand and that halo over the brand is hopefully going to be the impetus for you to come into the showroom with your wife and say man the Ford could build a 200 build this 220 mile an hour car and they do all this so look at this thing it's fantastic and have you come into the showroom and look at a Ford Escape or look at a uh, a Ford Edge or a Fusion or or some or F-150 pickup truck or whatever it may be and use that as the catalyst for you to make a first purchase and make a bond with the Ford Motor Company. So that really is indirect ROI. If you were going to another example and a farm example would be let's say that you travel someplace to go to a workshop and hopefully uh, it's one of the Machinery Digest <laughs> workshops but any workshop. Well let's say you go to a trade show so for instance like Commodity Classic which I've been blessed to be able to, uh, to present twice on the main stage c- Compliments of Firestone Ag and Successful Farming Magazine so you spend the money to go to Commodity Classic that is an indirect ROI and you are looking to go there and glean things, learn things, and bring them back to your farm, but you're not going to be able to go to Commodity Classic or to go to one of my workshops or somebody else's workshops or a winter crop meeting and say, man, I went there and I got five more bushels per acre. You may get that indirectly by what you have learned, but... um, you may end up getting that, but you're not gonna, or it's not going to be direct where you put something on. You may learn about a special product or learn about a procedure, but then you have to implement it to get that return. So that is really indirect ROI. And I think that is something that the agricultural industry needs to start to look outside the box. And I think that the crop companies... I think the crop companies, the uh, the fertilizer companies, what have you, uh, really need to start to not only look at ROI, but look at indirect ROI, because, and that's why I also do have to applaud AgroLiquid, because they were one of the first people to stand behind me and uh, the Farm Machinery Digest and the Idle Chatter podcast, and then uh, also Hefty Seed because I mean obviously I'm not talking about seed or I'm not talking about liquid fertilizer but those companies saw the value in the farmer becoming educated and becoming more efficient and if you become more efficient Uh, through education on your machinery and your shop procedures then what will happen is that you will be more profitable and a profitable farmer in direct ROI a profitable farmer will be able to take those funds and say well I want to buy better fertility or I want to buy uh, better genetics when I plant next season and uh, that is what this is all about so it's indirect ROI and there's nothing that I'm ever gonna tell you that's gonna ring your Ring your uh, cash register, but what it's going to do is allow you to keep more of what rings in that cash register. And I think that's you know I think we're too fixated in this industry on 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 the Chicago Board of Trade and the prices of crops. And obviously that's a that's an that's a major component of it. I'm not saying that whatsoever, but the thing is that if you have a very efficient farm operation and you have a very efficient farm shop operation everything that you're doing in that in that farm shop in which your equipment is establishing an indirect ROI you could weather lower crop prices very easily uh, or more easily, I should say, more easily than somebody who has an inefficient operation as far as their machinery is concerned. Because, you, yeah, you may be making it on the one end, say, oh, man, we got $8 corn back. This is great. But if you're losing it in the farm shop, it would be, you know, the analogy that I always make is that, you know, we heat with oil, with heating oil, and in, in the Northeast, the majority of us do. And, you know, I could be burning oil like crazy, and if I have the window open, I'm wearing a sweater in the house and I'm saying, Man, I've got this thousand dollar a month heating bills and I'm freezing and I'm wearing a sweater in the house. That's because the window is open. And the indirect ROI, by not applying that logic, is basically leaving the window open. And when you apply indirect ROI, you close that window, you keep the heat in the house. And did I make did you make more money? No, but you are more profitable. And that's really what it comes down to. And I, I you know listen to a lot of shows and read a lot of stuff and what have you and uh, I really think that the agricultural community needs to look at the auto industry and look at other industries and think outside the box and start to talk about some indirect ROI and uh, you know same thing is I mean I'm saying this not because Firestone is, is coming on board with this special delivery section but you know you look at tires you know so many guys go and they go to they they need tires for a tractor or spray or something and they go they look to buy the cheapest tire and and I certainly understand that we used to have a farmer across the road there was a dairy farmer he sadly retired and passed on but uh, Charlie Miller and you know he used to say they're all round black and hard so uh, and I guess maybe 40-50 years ago they were that way but you know if if you go and you do so many things on your farm to build up the the, the soil structure, to build up the tilth of the soil, to re, to uh, to build up organic matter, to build up microbial life in your soil. Then don't you want the tire that's going to ride on that soil and touch that soil to have the minimal impact on it, on on and the minimal amount of of, um, of compaction? So, but. That's an indirect ROI. so when you go to buy tires, don't look at saying that an, that you' know, a regular a regular radial tire costs X amount and a IF or a VF tire, which I prefer VF tire, so much more and don't use the charlie miller syndrome whoa they're all round black and hard right the thing basically is is that really that differential between the the basic radial and a vf tire is indirect roi for your soil structure and you know that's that's how I look at it, is that you know, I'm planting cover crops, I'm doing minimum till or, 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 or conservation till, I'm going no till on my planter, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to save a couple of dollars on a tire that has a life of many, many years and go and compact my soil or, or degrade my soil structure to a greater extent because I have a tire that's inefficient that's coming in contact with the soil so once we start to think about indirect ROI so that investment that you would make in a, in a VF tire versus a standard radial is really indirect ROI and if that tire is going to last you 10 years you're having a, a better soil structure over the next 10 years or degrading where you're riding the traffic areas to a much less extent and also hey, like this year we had a wet most of us had a wet season you know you're going into that field when it's wet and at that particular point you're hoping that you had a vf tire because you you know you don't want to you don't want to ride in a wet soil, but you have to ride in a wet soil, So you want to have the least damage as possible so that all comes back to uh thinking out of the box and indirect roi so now what i am going to go into now and uh Is if you if you haven't gleaned this that you know these podcasts have no notes. I talk to you as if we were talking at a coffee shop or standing you know sitting on the back of the tailgate uh, someplace or leaning up on the side of the combine, and I just talk. I know what I want to talk about, and I have no notes. But for these next five topics, I did make myself one-line notes, so I have to have full disclosure here and be honest with you. So, how are ways that you could think out of the box in your farm shop all right the first way is is do cost share or share some shop equipment that you either cannot afford to buy and the other caveat being that you do not use all of the time now the first thing that comes into mind is an air conditioner recharging recovery station that's probably a three or four thousand dollar machine and it is imperative and i am going to do a podcast on this hopefully probably towards the end of the winter into the spring is that it is imperative with every air conditioning system and i don't care whether it's in a v- in a passenger vehicle or in a farm truck combine what have you every air conditioning system the f- the, the refrigerant the r134a has no idea what it's in the compressor has no idea whether it's in your wife's your wife's suv or your combine is that it's imperative that system be serviced and what I mean by being serviced is not just cleaning the cabin air filter and taking the bugs and the chaff off the condenser I'm not talking about then checking the belt is that every air conditioner system will wick in moisture over time and we'll get into this in the podcast in a future date as I said but when that moisture mixes with the refrigerant it creates acid and acid destroys everything in that air conditioning system in the um, accumulator or receiver dryer depending if it's on the low side or the high side what it's called most of them today have accumulators because they're on the low side not the high side there is a desiccant, which is a little bag with, has that has salt-like crystals in it, That, like when you buy electronics, and that's used to absorb the moisture. What historically happens is the people don't service the air conditioning system, and the acid forms and it, it eats the desiccant bag. And the desiccant bag, the little particles come out and pump through the whole system, they plug the orifice tube, they ruin the compressor, they do everything, and you have a three or $4,000 repair all right so the thing ba- and in today's farm equipment air conditioning is not a luxury it's a necessity i've said that before and there's actually a article in the learning series on my website on the uh learning tab we'll learn tab about this if you want to read a little bit more but anyway the way you go about avoiding that is every few years you need to to discharge the air conditioner system that means take all the freon refrigerant out freon is actually a brand name it was uh, dupont's name i believe so we'll take all the refrigerant out and it has to be stored in a recovery machine and then what you do is you pull a vacuum on that system because water will boil at about 52, fifty three degrees at sea level in a vacuum so you're boiling off all the moisture and now you're and taking out the contaminants and you're filling it back up with the proper amount of refrigerant if you do that every three or four years your AC system in your equipment will pr- probably outlast the machine unless you pop a hole in something so it's very very important for you to do that. If you were to bring something into town to the dealership to do that, it's going to cost you two or three hundred dollars to to do that job. It's usually a hundred or two hundred dollars for the service, and then thirty pound thirty dollars a pound or so for the refrigerant. So it could cost you two hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars, three hundred dollars, depending upon the size of the system. If you have a dynamic farm operation, you have a lot of equipment. There's a lot of air conditioners, and um, in your pickup trucks and in, in, in the other vehicles and the, the farm equipment. The thing is that if you were to invest in a recovery station and charging a recovery station, which costs about $4,000, your cost to do that service would only be the refrigerant, which you would buy the refrigerant bulk and it's, the, it's not $30 a pound as a service center would, would charge you. But the thing is that you don't need an air conditioner charging station 365 days out of the year. So let's think outside the box. Let's get together with a couple of friends and say, okay, we're going to invest in this AC station. It's $4,000 and we're going to invest in it and we're each one of us is going to buy our own refrigerant so then I'm going to go and I'm going to do all of my equipment and then I'm going to take care of the machine and I'm going to give it to the next person and he's going to do his equipment so the consumable part the refrigerant is yours you're buying it and you're just taking the machine around so basically in essence if you had four guys and you invested a thousand dollars a piece you would be able to to service all of your equipment's ac systems in direct roi and avoid having a 4 5 3 to 5000 dollar repair 2 to 5000 let's say it's in the car 2000 2500 on a combine maybe three, four, 5000 dollar repair for air conditioning all right so so you spent a thousand right but a 5000 dollar repair and you know murphy's law being the way it is and that just happened to me this week, not my A.C. system. Sean and I got married. It'll be 20 years, and we built a house here on the farm, and we bought everything new, obviously. New stove, new refrigerator, new washing machine, new dryer, and then over the years, we've bought other stuff. And, uh, in this past week, my leaf blower went bad, my washing machine bearing went bad, and my well tank went Went bad, so everything came bad at one time. But I had said to Charlotte 20 years ago, I said, Look, you know, we got to save our money because 15, 18, 20 years from now, all this stuff is going to go bad. So uh, we just have to be able to put money away so we know we have to replace it. And you know, that's what we ended up doing. And you know, thank God that wasn't an issue. But the fact of the matter is, indirect ROI you have a piece of equipment like that, you're not going to use it 365 days out of the year. Cost share it with a bunch of other farmers, and let and your friends of yours, guys that you know you could trust and take care of, and get that cost down dramatically, and have that indirect ROI. Another thing that I like to talk about indirect ROI. There's a piece of equipment that I am going to be doing an article on. It's called a smoke machine, and they're between two and five thousand dollars, depending upon the size of it that you get and the operating pressure. That's the greatest thing to find leaks, vacuum leaks in an engine, pinholes in the a, in a, in a, uh, intercooler, leaks in a sprayer, leaks in any type of tank, a storage tank of liquid fertilizer, s- storage tank, what have you. Uh, great, great piece of equipment. It's called a smoke machine. And if you bought a bigger one that you want to pressurize something that's larger, all right, you probably have five thousand dollars into it. But then again, you know co-op this with your friends so you buy a smoke machine no, no one's going to need it all the time but when you do need it so let's say you get your 4 let let's say you buy a four thousand dollar one again you get four guys you have a thousand dollars so now basically you invested two thousand dollars of your own farms money a thousand dollars in the co op's uh, air conditioner recovery station and a thousand dollars in the smoke machine all right you got two thousand dollars now you have the access to these pieces of equipment that will truly truly help your bottom line because you'll be able to efficiently fix something diagnose it accurately not wasting money on repairs And then you will be able to get out there and get into the field when you need to get in the field. And it's very, very cost effective. I mean, so many guys will think of nothing of spending $10,000 on a toolbox, which has no ROI, direct or indirect. But it sure does look pretty when they come into your farm shop, right? But here it is, I'm talking about two $1,000 investments, your cost, collectively with other farmers to get this equipment in your hands. So that's one way of thinking. So core share farm um, shop equipment that is specialized and you're not going to use all the time. The second thing that I have on my list is what I spoke about in the beginning, with the uh, with New Jersey being brackish, and that is look to other industries to for ideas and then modify them for your needs. I mean, if you look at the construction industry and this you know, probably would not apply to everyone in the farm. But if you look at the construction industry, you know, most of the time, if they need a specialized piece of equipment, they rent it. So, uh, and like I said, this may not go one-to-one, but look at other industries. Look how they handle different things and say, yes, you know, I could do that and I could modify that slightly or I could... You twist that around a little bit and that would be a benefit to my farm shop so look at other industries don't be closed minded and say you know, and, and as, in, as an engineer that's what I look at, I mean I see a printing press, I'll look at a printing press and see how they how they wired up something or how they ran a gear train or ran a chain on it and say wow that's really great and then you could end up applying that to something else so be open minded I did a podcast a while back called you know uh, about NIH not invented here, don't just think because because it's not agriculture that it has no value to you on the farm, yeah. It may, may not it may not have value to you one to one, but there'll be some some small element of that that you could bring back to your farm shop, bring back to your business and make it more profitable. And I'm going to repeat it again because I actually did this last year at Commodity Classic, and I had the I would say it's it's not what you make, and I had the audience chant back, "It is what you keep." So. I want you to be profitable, I want you to, and just look at it this way, you know, if you could be profitable at low crop prices, if you keep that same discipline and you have that that same foundation in place when crop prices rebound, and you know that they will, they always do, right, crop prices rebound, do you know how profitable your farm could be and how great this could be? Because if you could, you know, if you could make it, if you could make it you know in the in the bad times once the good times come then you're really really gonna soar as long as you don't go crazy and waste it. but by implementing this you know what's really good about the hard times is that they teach you how to really be efficient and and it's you know it's imperative that we be efficient but we cannot just look at the income side of the ledger we have to look at the outgoing side of the ledger and the farm shop is a big place where a lot of those those outgoings, if that's even a proper word, happened, but we just write it off in our mind as bad, like, oh, hey, Joe, the motor blew up on my pickup truck. Oh, man, I'm going to have lousy luck this year. And that's not the case. The motor blew up on your pickup truck, most likely. I'm not saying that it can't blow up, but blew up because you never, uh, you never, spend five cents a gallon to treat the fuel and your hydraulic the motor because when the injector is stuck open and you bent the connecting rod so so whatever so we have to look at it on a case-by-case basis the third thing that i want to talk to you about is that you need to have your tire dealer come by and weigh all your equipment and then write it down in a notebook so you have a notebook with the tire pressures set so that when you go out into the field with that piece of equipment, whether it's a sprayer, whether it's a, a chisel plow, whether it's a planter you know what to set those tire pressures at for the proper load and minimum compaction. Indirect ROI. Most tire equipment dealers you know, will do this for you for free and they're doing it for indirect ROI. They want to make make a good relationship with you so when it comes time to buy tires that you will go to them so take advantage of that use the winter to weigh all your equipment write it down put the put the implements on the back Reweigh it and then you could look on the chart every tire company has a chart from the industry standards that if at this weight and this size tire you need to run this much this much air pressure in it and then once you have that you don't need a $30,000 on the fly inflation system and that's moot anyway if you don't know what tire pressure to set it at so indirect ROI spend some time with that and arrange it with your tire dealer and and get that all set up and have that notebook with it written down when you go into the field and you're hooking up the planter you know what pressures to run on that tractor to minimally impact that soil structure and the last thing I want to talk about before I go into the uh, special delivery section is, you know, indirect ROI, buy quality, not price. And, you know, I tell people, I'm not cheap, I'm conservative. And, and, you know, the thing is that, you know, look at the quality of something. Don't just look at the price. And it has to be a price-quality price ratio. And if you look at that, when I mean, you're buying buying your know, parts, you're buying oils, you're buying fuel, you're buying lubricants, whatever the things that uh, tools, look at the price quality ratio. And because that's really an indirect R- ROI. If you buy a tool that makes you efficient, it costs you a little bit more upfront, but it gives you money back on the back end over and over and over again, that that's really going to be an indirect ROI so enough said I uh, yeah, drilled it into you and hopefully uh, and if you have any questions about it please feel free to contact me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com you know I just want to tell you now that special delivery is brought to you by Firestone Ag a company founded by Harvey Firestone a fourth generation farmer from Columbiana Ohio Harvey dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors and his innovative mindset is the core of Firestone Ag today and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar design and AD2 technology. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm trusted only to Firestone. Alrighty, my first letter here is the gentleman uh, calls me Hot Rod and he says, Hot Rod, I am enjoying your podcasts and have learned a lot from them. I also like your toolbox tests, but I do not submit them since I may be embarrassed if I get the questions wrong. And a lot of people that, <laughs> this guy is at least honest, is that from our analytics, a lot of people are taking, going to the toolbox test, but a good number of you are not submitting it. I you need The way it's set up is that you need to submit it to get the proper answers, and all I get is an email address, and today, you know, you, you can't even, it could be my next door neighbor before I know, you know, uh, whatever, joes4020 at gmail.com, I don't know who that is, I mean, so, but, you know, as an aside with this, his question is that, you know, please go to those toolbox tests because they're great learning tools, it's nothing to be embarrassed about, and and if you get it wrong you get it wrong and I give you the right it emails back the right answer I don't know who you are I don't know anything so please you know, submit those and every month I give away a free t-shirt for those people who submitted I have a drawing but anyway in test number three to get back to this question you talk about diesel truck engines without EGR could you explain EGR to me I'm sure other listeners have the same question thanks Harry from Utah well, yes, Harry, uh, first of all, it's not just truck engines, it's any diesel engine, and uh, EGR stands for exhaust gas recirculation, and what that basically is, that there's an emission called oxides of nitrogen, and both gasoline engines and diesel engines admit it, but diesel engines emit more, and that's really one of the main components of the tier 4 emissions, is to lower oxides of nitrogen emissions and what is basically found many years ago the gas the auto industry was the first to control uh, oxides of nitrogen back in 1973 and the diesel is the same way it's found it was found that if you put exhaust gas back into the cylinder and use it as a filler so what it does is that it uh, takes the place of a combustible mixture and because it is inert it will not burn it takes the place of the combustible mixture and it lowers the exhaust gas temperature and by lowering the exhaust gas temperature you limit oxides of nitrogen production. There is an equation called the Zeldovich equation for all of you gearheads out there and to produce oxides of nitrogen it does Mr. Mr. Zeldovich realized that it's pressure, heat, and exposure time. And when the leading edge flame front temperature in the bore, as the flame uh, travels across the bore, reaches 2500 2500 degrees and above, what happens is that the oxides of nitrogen production uh, really uh, jumps up. So by introducing this inert inert exhaust gas to exhaust gas recirculation, even though the air is hot, it is acting as a filler like a carrier and doesn't allow to have uh, as much combustible mixture which lowers the exhaust gas temperature and in turn minimizes oxides of nitrogen production. There is a... uh, I have an article about all about Tier 4, but you know this is not not just Tier 4. Tier 4 just became the strictest standards, but the reduction of uh, oxides of nitrogen has been around for quite some time. So I would suggest uh, Harry from Utah, please go to my website to the learn. Uh, tab and then the learning series and I will be able to uh, explain that to you a little bit more detail. I don't. Uh, it, that's really something more you have to read than hear me talk about. But that's what EGR is, and it puts exhaust gas back into the cylinder to minimize oxides of nitrogen production. And to answer your question, yes, there are some engines. The federal government, both on road vehicles and and agricultural vehicles, does agricultural machines, not vehicles. Does not care how the manufacturer achieves reduction of oxides of nitrogen. They just know that it has to pass, get be down to a certain level. And there are some companies that have been able to, through the design of their injection system, their cylinder head, and what have you, been able to get a reduction of uh, oxides of nitrogen without. Uh, EGR, but that's really in the off-road market. Everything that's on the road has EGR, whether it's a pickup truck or whether it's a semi, class 8 semi, but the agricultural machinery standards are less than road vehicles, and, um, and Case IH is, is is big for that because they have what is called an SCR only supplemental, supplemental catalytic reduction uh, system, and they do not they currently not able not, don't need EGR to get the oxides of nitrogen levels uh, down. But the SCR system is what controls the oxides of nitrogen. So they're very heavily based on SCR and not controlling it in the engine. And there's nothing wrong with that, just different school of thought. So that is that. And I would like to get to one more question. Uh, this gentleman is Jerry from Michigan. He says, hello, I have a John Deere planter that has its own alternator on it that is run hydraulically. I am having some issues with the electronics on the planter, but the alternator seems to be charging. Could there be another problem that I am not seeing? I appreciate your thoughts. Well, thank you so much for writing me, Jerry. Uh, Yes, there is a problem that that could be, and there's, there's a number of problems, but... I only have a minute or two to talk to you here because I'm coming to the end of this podcast time. but please you know email me at hotrod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com dot com and I will give you some more stuff, but the low hanging fruit, the most common thing is that I would have to say that it either has a bad diode in the alternator, or it has a bad weak ground sometimes, I don't want to say bad, but a high impedance ground, but it's probably more of a bad diode in the alternator, and if I remember correctly I think a few podcasts back somebody wrote almost a similar letter, it wasn't with a planter, they were having some uh, alternator issues, and what a diode is, and I do have an article also on my uh, learning series about diodes, and diode. I think that's under the lecture hall. Excuse me, it's actually like a little podcast, a four-minute podcast. But uh, what a diode is is a one-way electrical uh, electronic check valve. It only allows current to flow one way, uh, like you would have a flow valve on a water filter sprayer. And if the diode goes bad, or actually probably didn't go bad, it's probably becoming weak, and it's it would be like a leaky faucet and it's passing current both ways and an alternator after he makes AC current that's it's alternating current and the farm equipment the machinery runs on DC current and what the diode does is it in electronics it's called chopping the signal and it takes it and it um, takes that AC ripple and makes it into like a DC type of signal and if a diode goes bad starts to go bad I'm using the word bad when I shouldn't start to become weak what will happen is that the alternator output will skew slightly but you may not be able to really glean that so instead of 14.7 volts it may be 14.3 or 14.4 but the signal that it's putting out is what we would call an electronic electrical engineering is dirty and it has uh, it's not clean and it has It's. it's got some what we would call unrectified AC and what that will do, is, and I've said this before on this podcast, is that it will drive uh, modern electronics crazy. It's like putting water in the gasoline. So I would have to say that you, know, you could have a high impedance ground, but I would have to say that it probably has a weak diode in the alternator. And the only way you could truly accurately quantify whether the uh, diode is weak is to use an oscilloscope and put an oscilloscope pattern on it Uh, the other way you'd be able to do is if you took the alternator apart and found the diode and you did an ohms test on it but uh, but that's really not practical is that you would need to, uh, to use an oscilloscope and last week's podcast um well the past two weeks I spoke about the right to repair and I mentioned the oscilloscope and probably a couple of podcasts out I'm going to talk about a little bit more but you know I would have to say uh, Jerry that it probably has a weak diode in the alternator you may be able to pull that alternator off and bring it into town to an auto electric shop if they even exist anymore and the guy will spin it on a test bench and put a uh, put in the uh, oscilloscope on it and see if that pattern is clean And I would say that's probably the most likely cause. So listen, I want to thank you again so much for listening. I want to thank the Farm and Ranch Ag Network for carrying my podcast. And if you listen to it there, I also ask you to come to my website at farmmachinerydigest.com and take advantage of everything that is there and you know it's an honor to be able to help American agriculture and I truly hope that you know you're learning from this and enjoying it and please feel free to communicate with me in any way shape or form uh, that you like send smoke signals if need be. But I want you to know, as always, the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and this blessed and beloved nation of mine. God bless you, God bless America, and hopefully you'll tune in next week.